0: All right, well, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Uh, God bless you guys. Is it still sunny outside? It is not sunny. All right. Well, uh, no sun's out, guns out kind of statement. Uh, But no, uh, at the end of this um, worship experience, we have bump in the gym. So uh, I think we have, do we have hamburgers and hot dogs still? I think we have hamburgers and hot dogs and then we're going to play bump. If you don't know what bump is, it's a basketball game. Okay. And so I uh, would love for you to come out and uh, celebrate my victory over all of you. Okay. <laughs> so we have this final image of Luke's gospel. And uh, it's right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And uh, it's Jesus lifting up his hands, which is kind of an ancient Near East custom. And he blesses his disciples. Now this is strange. Everyone say Strange. Something has happened to the disciples after they were blessed. I want you to think about this. Blessed? Now, if if you remember Luke's final chapter, in chapter 24, uh, he has the disciples grappling with this new reality of this post-resurrection Easter world. They're trying to figure out Jesus' body. You can touch his body. He's physical, but he disappears and passes through thick walls. He loves to have breakfast. He eats fish and chips and pancakes. Can I get an amen to that? Um, So the disciples are trying to figure out, okay, what is going on in this post-Easter world? So Luke tells us the disciples are incredulous, skeptical, afraid, restless. Even the two disciples on the road to Emmaus are despairing. They have no hope. And now we come to this final scene. Everyone say final scene. So they come to the final scene, and the disciples are different from what they were prior to Jesus lifting up their hands. Remember, they're incredulous. They're afraid. Have you ever felt that way before? Restless. They have no peace. They're perplexed, befuddled. And now the text reads that they are worshipful and full of joy as they head back to Jerusalem. Blessing? Really? They were blessed? And they were filled with awe and worship and joy? Okay, so what's going on here? Because we have a translatability problem here when it comes to uh, blessing. Blessing for all of us doesn't translate well in the modern world. Uh, when we think of blessing, we usually don't think of a life altering moment. For example, uh, yesterday, my wife and I took our nation, our little nation, to the zoo. And uh, my son, we went to—is it the Dipping Dots, right? Dipping dip Dots, Ugh, whatever. So we went and got Dipping Dots, and uh, Wesley orders, and he looks up at his son. It was a beautiful day, and he sneezes five times. I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna kick us out, right? Please don't. We're not sick, you know. Stop it, stop it, Wes. He stops, but then there was this nice worker lady who looked over to him and uh, said, "What? God bless you, right?" Wesley said, thank you. He's polite, like his father. And went on eating his ice cream. Well, what's interesting, I got a sunburn. My daughter, from that moment on, screamed like a feral raccoon because she couldn't get on the ride that she wanted, or not the ride, but the slide that she wanted. My wife and I came home utterly exhausted, and I remember thinking, man, that, bless you, didn't do anything. <laughs> right? Right? Right, that blessing did nothing. Nothing happened to me that changed my life. So, blessing, when we think of blessing, we think of God bless you, or there's a lot of different ways of thinking of blessing. But blessing for most people in the modern world is peripheral. However, when we come to the Bible, blessing is not peripheral, it's central. Everyone say central? It's central to the entire drama of the story of the Bible. Without it, the universe and life itself unravels at its core. So today, what I want to do is offer a map for understanding blessing. One, I want to tell you, I want to define what is blessing. Two, I want to talk to you about a brief story, biblical story of blessing. And three, I want to talk us through how can we become blessable people who bless other people. How many want to be blessable people who bless other people? So before I do that... um, I want to talk about two stories that are related to blessing. I remember I was 18 years old. I went to, I, I was being recruited by a lot of different uh, colleges, but there's one specific college, university that I wanted to play basketball at. So I, I go and meet this iconic coach who I always wanted to play for. I meet him, he shakes my hand and he goes, Chris, I saw my letter of intent. He goes, Chris, I cannot wait for you to be this particular, I'm, I'm not going to name the university, but I can't wait for you to be this Bronco. Okay, anyways. Um, I didn't want to say it because I don't want to like, oh, well, anyways. So I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It was one of the greatest up into that uh, time in my life. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. And then later that night, I I went home, took a nap. Later that night, he goes on TV, Channel 7, and announces his retirement to the whole world. So I remember being disappointed and then the assistant coach at the time, who I have much respect, great guy, takes over. About two weeks later, we have um, like a a meeting. So he gathers about 15 of us who were on the team, takes us to the pavilion. It was called the pavilion at that time. Takes us into a little room. And I'll never forget this. He's a good guy and uh, we still have a good relationship. Um, But this is the first words that came out of his mouth. He said this, I didn't recruit any of you. Instantly I was like, "Uh oh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't feel welcomed here, right? And then he, there were two, there were two Idaho players. And then he proceeded to point out the Idaho players. He goes, you know what? I I especially don't recruit Idaho players because they're soft. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, welcome to Boise State Bronco, right? To being a Boise State Bronco. And again, he's a great guy. um, But in that moment, I remember my world was turned upside down. This is a story of non-blessing. Um, I could have put it into words, but I didn't feel welcomed. I remember for that whole year, this weight of this low grade, I don't even know how to describe it, it, depression fell on me. I remember walking around just not not myself. I remember every single day I would wake up feeling like I had to start from scratch and I had to prove myself to this coach that I belonged to Boise State. Um, I had to prove it. Everyone say, prove it. I had to prove that I belonged and I struggled and I struggled and I struggled with all the, the complexities of different emotions from just not feeling right, not feeling welcomed. I, I, I don't feel like I've, I've been chosen, all those different things. A couple of years went by and I realized, and I couldn't put a name to what I was feeling, but after a couple years went by, I realized that number one, I was cursed. Not only was I cursed, but number two, I was living from A curse. That moment, this coach who I still have a good relationship with, said certain words that caused a mindset in me, shaped a perception by which I begin to live from. This is a story of non-blessing. In fact, my entire identity as an athlete, as a person was wrapped up in this curse, wrapped up in the words that were spoken, not only over me, but over our entire team. You see, this is how curses work. Curses create wounds, which is based on lies that go against God's full intention for your life. And it leads, if you don't identify it and break it off your life, it leads to chronic Depression. So that is the story of non-blessing and cursing. I also have a good story of blessing. I remember I was 12 years old and uh, we went to a camp and I was sitting in the back and uh, we had a preacher man from California who was praying over all of uh, the students and I was the very last person uh, that he prayed for. Some of you have heard the story before. I didn't want to get prayed for, but he started praying for me. And when he started praying for me, I was hoping he would say, yeah, you're going to be the greatest athlete ever, right? You're going to make to the NBA. You're going to be greater than MJ, all that kind of stuff. He didn't say any of that. And so I remember sitting there and he started praying over me. And he said, Chris, there's a depth to you. Uh, God's given you a gift of wisdom. And uh, you'll be a boy for a while, but then as you grow up, God will give you major responsibility in the kingdom of God. And without sounding um, cliche here, those words have shaped the trajectory of my life. They've given me the resilience. They've given me the strength to endure everything that has come my way. Why is that? He blessed me. He blessed me. It's important for us to understand, as one author said, blessing and cursing are are not complicated Bible words, people. Right? They are simply the two ways we treat people. They are as inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. Guys, James chapter 3 says, we bless and we curse image bearers out of the same mouth. And that ought not be. And for many of us in this room... Right? We have experienced life as a curse. And not only have we, be, all of us collectively experienced being cursed, we also collectively have perpetuated the curse. So we're all a part of this curse that has shaped God's good world. For example, um, a friend of mine, we were talking about blessing. And uh, he was thinking about it. And this week he uh, sent me this text and I think it's important uh, to read this and it kind of highlights the importance of blessing and cursing. He he says this, I've been thinking about blessing or the words uh, spoken over us from friends, from parents, from coworkers, from family, from our spouse. I thought through the history of my life and I realized that I remember way more the negative ones versus the good ones. Isn't that funny? We usually do that. The words that, are, that, that sit with me to this day were said in hurt and anger from my mom, you're just like your father. Stinging words that shaped the better part of the next 20 fears, 24 years of my life. How I felt about myself, how I interacted in the workplace, or social settings, how I overdo and overserve to feel value. I'm a long ways from where I was. I have godly confidence that he's using my giftings to reach and impact people for the kingdom, but there's still a fine line where I have to question my motives, my heart. I become too critical of myself because of the words that were spoken over me. Time spent with me was of no importance to my parents, so I stride for value for their blessing. 39 years later, I have it from both of them, and I constantly get that I'm so proud of you, but that lingering word when I was 15 still haunts me, still picks at my confidence, still says you are not enough, still says you must prove your value. You must earn your blessing. So blessing and cursing are absolutely central to the drama of the Bible. So the question that we have to ask is, number one, what is blessing? What is blessing? Well, blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak. Everyone say barak, which means to speak the intention of God speak the words of God, to speak his expectations over someone. The New Testament uses two terms, makarios. Can you say makarios? makarios. Which can be translated a lot of different ways. There's a spectrum to it. It can be translated happiness, it can be translated uh, fortunate. Obviously, the word that's used most is blessed. Uh, another word that's used in Luke 24 as Jesus lifts his hand and blesses his disciples is uh, eulogia which is where we get the word uh, eulogy, which literally means to speak well of. John Tyson states, blessing someone is to say this. Please hear me. My God's full expectation for you will be fulfilled in your life. Blessing, in other words, is God's favor. It's his joy. It's his presence. And it's his announcement of God's good expectation over your life over your body, over your future, even over your past. And can I get an amen? Amen. So blessing is to speak well of someone. It is to give life. It is to speak the expectation of God over you. Number two, what is the the story of blessing in the Bible? And I don't have a lot of time here this morning to give you a long history of blessing and cursing. So I'll just give you a brief one for about two hours. You ready? Ready? So here's my, my, my brief attempt at giving you the, the historical, biblical arc of blessing and cursing that we find in the Bible. Genesis chapter one, we have the creation story which has a rhythm to it. I love it as you read it in the Hebrew. God creates and then what does he do? He sees his creation. And then what does he say? He says that it is good. And then we, we have in verse 22, starting in verse 22, God then blesses the animal kingdom. When, when we come to verse 28 and 31, God blesses his image bearers. And uh, I want to read this if I can, if you guys can put the verse up, verse 28, chapter one. And God blessed them and God said to them, he's talking to Adam and Eve, the first image bearers, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So blessing is about flourishing, right? It's about fullness of life. It's about partnering with God in ruling over creation with with wisdom and self giving love. This is how many would say this is a good thing. God wants to bless His people. But then we come to Genesis chapter three, and we know the story. It's called the Fall. Adam and Eve choose wisdom on their own terms. Uh, they choose a life of defining reality apart from God as they take and partake of, of the tree and they eat of uh, the tree. We know the serpent. We won't get into the historicity of this, but the etymology of the serpent is connected to burning ones in the ancient Near East that would refer to seraphim. So this most likely in Psalm 82, this serpent-like figure is a part of the divine council. It's crazy, but. This serpent is the devil. We call him Ha-Satan, the Satan. Are you still with me? He is a deceiver, right? So this deceiver deceives Adam and Eve. They choose wisdom on their own terms, which is a temptation to virtue. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to rebel against God and we're going to blankety-blank God and then we're going to do our own thing. It was a temptation rooted in disbelief, in mistrust. But then it's interesting, as Tyler Staten points out, we come to chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I can't read all of it today. But what God does is interesting. God curses the serpent. He doesn't directly curse Adam and Eve. He curses the serpent, and then he gives Adam and Eve over to the consequences of the curse and their sin. That's very important. God does not curse His image bearers, he curses the serpent. And then the curse, as we, as we see fleshed out, not only in verses 14 through 17 and God's poetic judgment over the serpent and the consequences that we see fleshed out in his poetic judgment in these verses, and then it's fleshed out throughout the entire drama of the Old Testament. We see that the curse is the opposite of God's intentions. The curse creates futility. It causes frustration. But the good news is this. The good news is that the rest of the biblical story is how God's plan is all about exhausting the full consequences of the curse. Can I get an amen? I was hoping for a charismatic church this morning. We come to Genesis chapter 12, and we see this kind of drama play itself out. In Genesis 12, I want to read it, verses 1 through 3. God is speaking to his friend Abraham, and he wants to bless creation, and he says this. Now the Lord, in verse 1, said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God wants to bless creation. What does this sound like? This sounds like Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. God still wants to bless the world. God wants to exhaust the curse of sin. God wants to break every sin pattern that shapes and defines our life. God does not abandon creation to the curse and to death and to wickedness and human folly. God is a good God. And then we come to Exodus 34 and we, and we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we have the most quotable verse in the Bible by the Bible. And, uh, in it, we have the God who is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding and has said in met faithfulness and love. And uh, we have in verse seven, uh, the God that we know in the Bible is the one who wants to give grace and wants to forgive. And basically we learn those who refuse God's grace and forgiveness create a generational line of cursing. Wow. So God wants to bless his people, but we also have the dynamics of humans refusing the grace of God. And as you refuse the goodness of God and His faithfulness, it creates this generational line of sin and cursing. And it looks like sin patterns and it looks like thought patterns and it looks like wounds and trauma and addictions which suppresses life. I am more convinced today, I've been ministry long, and not, uh, long enough that today many people are addicted to sex and success and desirability and power and themselves because they are living inside a curse. They are living inside a wound. They are living inside a trauma. They're living inside a sin pattern that they cannot break themselves. you hearing me. But the good news, as we skip forward to Luke, Luke uses blessing in the English translations at least 24 times. In the Greek, it's a lot more. And what does Jesus do? Jesus blesses the poor. He blesses those who mourn. He blesses the sick. He blesses the tired. He blesses the weary. He blesses the sick. He blesses those who are cursed. He blesses, he blesses, he blesses. The gospel's all about God blessing the world and exhausting the curse of sin. And then we, we skip forward to Galatians chapter three, verse 13, and I wanna read this. Paul writes, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the what? The curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith so Jesus removes the curse from our lives on the cross and releases the blessing of the Father upon us In fact, the word that we find forgive in the Old Testament, in in particular, Exodus 34, 7, when God's desire and intention is to forgive those who transgress, that word is neshah, and it means to lift up. It means to carry. It means to take away. On the cross, it is Jesus who took the woundedness of our mind and heart, who took the sin pattern shaped by the curse of sin, who took the curse itself and lifted it off of us. It's in Jesus that we find blessing. The problem is, my dad mentioned this earlier too, is that we are in desperate need of fathers. Fathers and mothers, of course. But this is Father's Day, so we're going to talk about fathers. And why we need to talk about fathers is because a good number in the words of, of one scholar so a good number of anthropologists and um, spiritual writers and theologians suggest that the hunger for a father's blessing is one of the deepest hungers in the whole world. Without a blessing from above, we will carry both a deep wound and a deep restlessness. And many of you here today are carrying a wound and a hunger and an ache and a restlessness because you didn't receive a blessing from your father or, for a, or from a mentor or from a coach. So how do we break off the curse in our life? How do we, in other words, number three, become blessable people who bless people? Or we could say it this way, how do we live from a blessing rather than living from a curse? How many of you want to live from a blessing as opposed to living from a cursed consciousness? Well, as one um, author writes, the mark of an emotionally mature follower of Jesus is to be a person who blesses the world. Okay. So how do we do that? Chris, three simple points. Number one, we have to speak well of people. Literally the word blessing in the new Testament is to speak well of someone. It is is to speak the expectation of God over a single person. I get this from Tyler Staton, but he said this, all three moments where we hear the audible voice of the Father over Jesus. When we get inside this Trinitarian conversation between the Father and the Son, the Father, what's what's fascinating, the Father doesn't reveal all the cosmic mysteries of the universe. He doesn't tell Jesus in 2,000 years there's going to be a Bill Gates figure and he's going to be the Antichrist or something like that. Whatever, right? Somebody like, what is he talking about? I don't know. I just wanted to wake you up. We're, we're not. He doesn't. I mean, I. I wish the Father would have said, okay, this is how it is, right? Give us the algorithm of sin and sorrow and f- help us figure out all these different mysteries and the complexities of life. The father doesn't do that. The father in three different moments audibly tells his son, you are my beloved son. Someone needs to hear this this morning. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, in other words, was blessed in these three moments, was blessed by his father. In other words, I like to think that Jesus from the rest, when he heard these, from the rest of his public ministry, lived from these words of blessing. I like to think, and this is just my thoughts, and I'm just going to make a statement, that I think all three moments of God's audible voice spoken over his son, you are my son and whom I am well pleased, were crucial moments in the life of Jesus. And it was this blessing of the Father speaking well over his son that enabled Jesus to endure the cross, to overcome the shaming of the Jewish leaders, to navigate the complexities of of public life, being the son of God and the Messiah and all the different things and the temptations. Jesus was able to do what he did because he lived not from a place of cursing, he lived from a place of blessing. Some of you, you love Jesus, but because you're living from a cursed consciousness, you're living under the weight of depression and anxiety and hopelessness and despair. Today, God's going to set you free and fill you with his blessing. You see, words have the power to call out the gifts and calling of God on people. Like I had a conversation with my big, we call them our big three last night and they're they beautiful. They're the, they the best kids in the world. They're better than your kids. Kidding, right? They're not. Um, and I had to have a, a conversation with them because they fight like chickens. And so I sat them down. I said, look at me, right? <laughs> Daddy? you the joker? Like, no, just look at me, son. I said, hey, look at me. And I began to say, I just had this conversation. Guys, Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of your words. Your words matter. Your words matter. What you say right now can affect your sister 30 years from now. We all know this. Many of you are carrying around a wound and an ache because of an untimely word, a curse that was spoken over you. Now, some of you are like saying, I don't know if I could speak well over anyone. I want to be a person of blessing, but I just, this is someone you have in mind that you just say, I I can't do it, Chris. I cannot speak good things over a particular person. Well, I I want to say this in all pastoral love. I'll give you space to think through that. But I just want to uh, suggest that it could be that you're just not using your imagination enough. This is what I told my kids. Guys, you can think of one good thing about your brother and your sister. They are image bearers. If you knew who they really were, you would speak a lot more good things. Our inability to speak well of people is less about people and more about us. It's more about our interiority that shapes us. So your words have power to call out the gifts in other people. In fact, Augustine, Uh, Famously had this over his table, and it's a saying: Whoever thinks he's able to nibble at the life of an absent friend must know he is unworthy of this table. Your words matter. Can I get a man? Amen. Amen. Death and life are in the power of your words. So how do we walk as blessing people? We walk in encouragement. We speak well. Over people in an age of cursing, in an age of non-blessing, when everyone's saying whatever they want to say, verbal vomit, my God, on the internet, in the grocery store, gossip, 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 gossip. I'll be really honest with you. Some people come up to me like, Chris, I got a prayer request. And they start sharing me their prayer request. And I'm like, well, number one, you didn't pray about this specific situation. Number two, all you are is gossiping about such and such. And number three, you want me to get on your side. So homie, don't play that. Shut your mouth. I've only done that a couple times. All right. But we gossip and we gossip and we gossip James three blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. That should not be the case. We are called to be as followers of Jesus committed to speaking well of people. How do we bless the world? We bless the world by speaking well of people. Number 2, how do we bless the world? Well, number Well, this is number 2. I said that. It's I, I'm raising a little nation. I'm tired, guys. Number 3, a b z d. I don't know where I'm at, guys. But number 2, the way we bless the world is to see we see the people around us. Good, yeah. We see them. I have seven kids. I'm going to give you a day life of. This is going to, you know, just take about an hour <laughs> of my wife and I's experience with seven kids. It goes like this: Dad, 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 watch me, Dad, see me, see me. I'm Dad. Dad, 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 mom, mom, mom. Come on, see me. No, you don't get it. Watch, watch, watch. No, dad. It's all day long. Dad. You see, our deepest desire. I'm tired, guys. That took a lot out of me. Um, (laughs) Our deepest desire is to be known. We know this with children. It's to be seen. It's to be be loved. We want to be seen. It's built into us. The Genesis 1 pattern goes like this. God makes creation, and then what does he do? He sees it. He sees it. And then he blesses it. In other words, to see someone is to bless someone. You You know why our distracted age is so bad is because it's a cursed age. Yeah. God is, well, how does that logic work? Let me just explain it. God is not distracted. Aren't you glad when you come to him in prayer yeah. that he's not on his phone? And you're like, God, I need your help. He's like, okay, hold up. Steph Curry. <laughs> it's the last minute. And I did something really cool. I'm going to make this. You got you to watch this, Okay. So you hold on with that prayer and I'm going to scroll on my phone, right? right? God, thankfully, is not distracted. I know some of us think that he might be distracted and some, some of us might be going through circumstances that are really difficult and it feels like God doesn't see us. But the truth that we have to get inside our bones, that we have to inhale within our soul, is that no matter how you feel, God sees right through you. Yes. And when you say, Father... He's there. Not, oh, okay. Wait for three years and I'll get back to you. No, he's always there. He's always present. A distracted age, please hear me, is a cursed one. A distracted age is a cursed one because it's the reflection of the curse. To bless someone is to see them. To curse someone is to dismiss them to see, remember is to bless. In, in, in fact, we, we find in Genesis 16, the first name given to God in the Bible is El Roy, the God who sees. We have Hagar. She's in the wilderness about to die. Abraham and Sarah has kicked her out. She's in the wilderness. God shows up as she's about ready to die and blesses her and her son, shows her her future, blesses her in the middle of a wilderness and she names God. You are the God of seeing. So here's the thing. How do we see people? How do we see them? We see them. This is like so profound, guys. We see them by noticing them. Noticing them. I remember it was 2008. I went with my cousin. He's the world's greatest communicator. I was his like bad guy, bag, not bad guy, bad guy. And, uh, we went to this huge conference. I won't name the conference. It's a great conference and I'm a PK. I've been, a, you know, I, and at that time I was a pastor for, for some time. So I know how green rooms work. And so my, my cousin, he got up and preached. It was a wonderful message. we went back to the green room. So I just know, I know pastors. I, I kind of know the game. Most pastors are great. Some pastors are not. Okay. So I just kind of know the the inside of it, but this is the first time I went into a green room where I felt, and I, I'll say this as gently as I can, I felt cursed. And I'll explain like, I, 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 if you know me, I'm an introvert, right? If I had just a stack of books, you send me to the mountains by myself. I could be there for 20 years. (laughs) Sort of kidding, right? So I'm an introvert, but as a pastor, you have to learn to be an uh, omnivert. So I, I know how to fake an extrovert better than anybody. So I'm in this green room, right? I'm taking the initiative, I'm talking to people and they're all, people are all these like well-known people and pastors. They all are talking among themselves. These are, some of these are really great people I'm taking the initiative and trying to talk to people and it's just, there's nothing. Yeah. And I'm sitting, and I'm sitting in the back and I'm like, oh my God, like what do I do now? I am exhaust myself with asking these people all the questions, right? Can you ask a question back? Yeah. I've talked about your kids. I've talked about your history, your sin, all of it. Anything back? You want to ask me what my name is? And I remember just sitting there and I'm like, and at the time I I couldn't put a name to it, but now I can name it. That was a cursed environment. Not because there was a witch in the room brewing some potion, cursing me. It was a cursed environment because no one was noticing anybody. Remember, to bless someone is to see someone. To curse someone is to not see them. So my my cousin comes in, and it was interesting, and everyone's like, oh, your name, your name. I won't name his name. You're amazing. And then my cousin's like, do you know Chris? they like, no, we haven't even seen him. I'm like, I just talked to you three minutes ago. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? It's because I'm a redhead. Anyways. And then he's like, this is my cousin. This is my best friend. And then everybody swarmed around me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? So what does it mean to see? What does it, what does it mean to be a people, a community that blesses it? It means that we have to notice each other. We have to notice our kids. We have to notice the Starbucks worker. We got to notice the person on the side of the road. I am tired of Christians just going around, doing their own thing and not seeing the world. How do we bless the world? We bless the world by seeing it. How do we bless each other on a Sunday morning? Smile introduce yourself. Like some of you don't realize you're like, I'm not a cursor. I come on Sunday, I worship, and then I talk to my friends. And mostly my head's like this, down, talking to my friends in the zone, right? Well, here's the thing. If you're not careful and please talk to your, your friends, right? Talk to those people that you love. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not careful, you, you can unwittingly participate within a cursed consciousness. And when people come in and everybody is just among talking among themselves, they don't feel welcome. You see, when you see someone, you notice them. And when you notice someone, they feel accepted. They feel we- welcome. They don't feel like they have to prove anything. They're like, hey, I don't even know your name, but my name is such and such. Let's go party tonight. Maybe not do that, but say, let's, let's go to lunch today right? We need to see each other. Good, good. Are you hearing me? Yes, so we have to get out, out, out of ourselves. We got to bless each other. We have to talk about, okay, what's going on in your life. Let's high five a little bit more. Let's talk about our story. Let's talk about our week. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's say, man, I, oh, I don't know your name, but this is my name. My, my, my hope, both my wife and I, our hope and our dream for this church is that we would be a community that's really messy. I want a mess. Why do you want that, Chris? Okay, this is, I'm going to get off on a little pastoral tangent. The reason why I want a messy church is I've learned something about being a father of seven kids. Seven kids are so messy and dirty and stinky and disgusting. Parents, come on. I, I thought this was a charismatic church. I get a lot more laughs, right? Yeah. Kids can be disgusting. But here's the thing. The mess, what is, it, what is it a sign of? It's a sign that there's life. There's life. If we're all perfect and we don't have any issues, you're not alive. Or you're a robot or an automaton or something or an alien, according to CNN. Anyways, let's move on. (laughs) Right? This is why we want a messy church, because it's a sign that there's life. But within a messy church, as I bring this full circle, we want to be a welcoming church. Bring your mess. We talked about this. Bring your brokenness. Bring, bring that sin. Bring that hurt. Bring that woundedness. Bring, bring all of you, right? The good news is, is that God sees right through you and he doesn't reject you, but he welcomes you into his presence and he releases his blessing over you and he takes and he lifts off the curse and he calls out your destiny and calls out your purpose and calls out the good things inside of you. We're called to be a welcoming church, number two. And finally, number three, we are called to, uh, to bless people. We are called to give our lives away. Jesus, the Last Supper, what did he do? It says that he blessed the bread. And then what did, he, what did he do? He broke it. He blessed it. He broke it. Then he looked to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body. See, blessing works through sacrifice if we're gonna bless the world, we have to learn to give our lives away. See, this 1983, and I love my father and my mother so much. 1983, they, uh, they heard from God that they were supposed to plant a church in Boise. At that time, they were told by everyone that Boise was a graveyard for churches. That you go there, you're gonna die, Ken, Connie. I remember they would tell the story to me over and over, and we were little, I was seven, my sister was five. My other sister was like two and a half, three, going on 40. It was, anyways, <laughs> she wanted to tell us all. She, she was a control feat bad then. Anyways, um, and so my parents in 1983 were so courageous. They took a risk and they moved their entire family to Boise, Idaho, and they sacrificed everything. Guys, you have no idea. Everything that they've had to go through, everything that they had to endure, All the pastoring, the praying, the the sweat, blood, and tears. When it comes to ministry, they gave their life away. And we are here today because of Pastor Ken and Connie and their sacrifice. Their sacrifice is not just a one-off event for them. Their sacrifice is a generational blessing. I am here on this platform preaching behind this pulpit because my parents decided in 1983 to to start and plant a church. I would not be here literally or spiritually if not for the sacrifice of my parents. Your sacrifice is not just something that affects you. It's not just a one-off event. It's not limited in space and time. It is transgenerational. And affects your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. How are we gonna bless the world when we understand that, yes, cursing is a generational thing, but blessing is more powerful. It is also generational. And the Bible says very clearly, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Yes, there's a lot of cursing as I close in this world. And yes, there's a lot of scapegoating. And yes, there's a lot of rancor. And yes, there's a lot of vitriol. But yes, God is still in in charge and his blessing is greater. His grace is, is greater. The age of cursing will come to, to an end but blessing is for eternity. So I close here as uh, Ronald Rollheiser says when we act like God we get to feel like God. Conversely when we are petty we get to feel petty. There's a clear cause and effect here. When we do big-hearted things, we get to feel big-hearted. And when we do small-hearted things, we get to feel small. So when we sacrifice like God sacrificed for us, Jesus on the cross, through extraordinary pain, lifting the curse so we could receive the blessing, we are called to do the same thing to give our lives away in a thousand different ways. And I don't have a time to, to get into this, but when we become people of blessing, guess what happens? We lift off the curse of other people. When we become people of blessing, we lift off the chronic depression that just sits on people. When we bless people by speaking well of them, speaking to their future. When we see people, we notice them. It might take some time, but that blessing begins to take over their consciousness. And it's through that, that Jesus leads people to him. So we have, as we close the five, excuse me, not the five disciples, all the disciples. They move from confusion in Luke chapter 24 and doubt to worship and joy because they were blessed. Are you confused today? Do you have doubts? That's okay. Are are there wounds that you're allowing to frame your mind? Are you living from a curse rather than from a blessing? Is your entire identity wrapped up in what someone has spoken over you or or done to you? The good news is, is that God's blessing over your life is not just a nice little God bless you and nothing happens. God's blessing as it's announced over you, if you are in Christ, breaks off the power of the curse and releases his full blessing from the father straight to your mind and your heart and your entire embodied self. Jesus sees you today. He speaks well of you guys. He knows, He knows you. These disciples in chapter twenty-four were messed up. They failed so many times, and yet Jesus still blessed them. Some of you are like, "Well, you, got you, you, God, you don't know all the things that I've done, and the ways I've failed, and the ways that I've sinned, and all the different hang-ups that I have, all the woundedness. It's going to take a long time for God to heal." Yes, healing is a process, but God's blessing is greater and stronger than any curse. And you can be free today. Amen. Amen. So the disciples move from confusion and doubt to worship and joy because of the blessing of Jesus over their life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. As your eyes are closed, heads bowed, I just pray right now that you would by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring healing to every wounded heart and mind. The trauma caused by cursing, the cursed consciousness that might be framing the mindset of your sons and daughters. I, I pray right now you would come and bring healing in Jesus name. Holy Spirit, you would come and speak well over your sons and daughters. I pray that you would break the power of every sin pattern that we have found ourselves in. Every addiction I declare broken today in the name of Jesus. I thank you that we would begin to live from a blessed mindset. That we would truly understand that we are seen by God. And that God has called us to be a blessing people. And I just ask today that you would bless every person in this room. I thank you that every son and daughter would know that you know them. You see them right through them. And yet you love them with an everlasting love. I ask that by your grace, you would help all of us to become blessing people. That we would bless the world. That we would make a decision in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to bless our sons and daughters and neighbors and Students and parents and spouses and all the people that we see in our world. I ask that you would help us to notice them, to see them. And I ask that you would help us to give our lives away as a sacrificial sign of your blessing. Show us how we can do that this week. So we thank you, Father, for your grace. As your eyes are closed, heads are bowed, i want to pray for every father. And I bless every father here today. Encourage them. I thank you, any trauma, any wound in their heart would be broken and healed. Anything that would keep them from the fullness of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to give life and life more abundantly. or well, they would enter into and get on the inside of your blessing in Jesus' name. And I thank you that you would empower, if you're a father, take your hand and put it on your heart. You would empower every father to bless their children. Lord, they would bless by speaking good words over them. They would bless by seeing the people in their lives. And they would bless as you empower them to give their lives away sacrificially. And we do all of this for your glory, Jesus. We do this because you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you've given everything away for us. We love, we love you. 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 I thank you for the sweetness of your presence right now. I just sense it. God's lifting off trauma. Some things that have you're realizing that have framed your life. Words that have been, idle words that have been spoken over you. You're realizing today that you have. They've been unrecognized but the holy spirit's bringing them to the surface and you've been living from them i just see the holy spirit setting you free today i see it healing some of you you've been under a weight of this depression it's been a cloud and there's a lot of different ways we could talk about depression sometimes we need medicine brain science is telling us a lot about how how we function those are all important things I'm talking about the depression that's connected to a curse. Some of you, you're realizing that you've been cursed and you've been living from a curse and that depression that's been hanging over you is a result of that. And the Holy Spirit is setting you free today. The Bible makes it very clear whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So as your pastor, I declare God's freedom over your life, you're going to begin to know the truth. Everyone say, I'm going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. I declare where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's liberty. So lift off depression, lift off anxiety, lift off those those things that beset us. Lord, break the power of sin in our life and Lord help and empower us to be blessable people who bless the world in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, Learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.